0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and Medhab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing, well sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I am with Christopher Accord. He is the reigning champion of obstacle racing race directors globally. (laughs) (laughs) How's that?
1: That sounds wonderful.
0: (laughs) Christopher, thank you very much for coming on and spending some time with me. I'd like to begin by beginning. Just how did you get involved with Battle Frog, and just kind of take me through the very beginnings?
1: Um, I'll start at the beginning, beginning. I uh, I grew up in West Virginia, uh, more or less, as a country boy, and uh, I'd always traveled growing up. Loved the the travel aspect of things, so um, that led immediately to me joining the Navy, and uh, probably my junior year of high school and uh, went on to boot camp in 1993. From there, I ended up uh, in the nuclear power field in the Navy uh, on submarines stationed on both coasts and and kind of traveling around. And after about 14 and a half years, um, I had managed to get a commission out of it, a college degree, and um, remained in the nuclear power program and uh, got out of that um, because I was a single parent. Um, That led me to... uh, working for government contractors at the time and uh, i think at one point i was a deputy director of advanced rocket programs and um as that company kind of uh got outbid by another company that was uh a global they almost have a global monopoly on on some of the the weapons and manufacturing and propellant um i ended up rather than moving to kansas city or australia um staying in the the town where my uh, wife at the time had grown up um and then um ended up getting a job with a a windows manufacturing company and running a logistics group for them for a while um and then all those things kind of culminated together and uh the some friends of mine were having a birthday and they actually said hey won't you come run this obstacle course race with me and it was in wintergreen and um 2014 um it just happened to coincide that same weekend. Um, my wife, she um, had some mental issues, and um, she ended up passing away that very same weekend that I ran my first race. Wow! Um, so I'm involved in a, a, an obstacle course racing community where everybody is supportive, everybody backs you, everybody is um, kind of building each other up. Um, so I used kind of the pain from that incident and the energy from the obstacle course racing, the community just as an outlet. Um, a month later, I ran another race. Two months after that, I ran another race and then, then got involved with uh, uh, some veteran organizations. One of them being Operation Enduring Warrior and did a 24 hour, what they call an in with those guys and um, got picked up as a masked athlete and a, a volunteer with Operation Enduring Warrior who, helps to honor, motivate and empower, um, combat wounded veterans. Um, -hmm. and they were heavily kind of entrenched in the obstacle course racing at the time because they did their rebranding. And when they came out, they came out and did that very same course that I did my first race. And that's how I came across those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, as things evolved and I ran more races and you kind of get pulled into the energy of the, the different races that you go to, Um, your office life becomes more and more mundane. Um, and after a while you, you really couldn't handle the office life anymore. So I just took some time off from, um, being a program manager, project manager, director uh, on that aspect and just kind of took time off and and went around the country running races. And at one point, um, I came across battle frog and they invited me to come down to one, run one of their races. Um, this was the inaugural Atlanta race they had in two thousand and fourteen. Um, huh. I ended up meeting some folks there, and looking at their first race um, the branding was spot on. they had a helicopter fly in they did some shows, and there was just a really good event, and they had a good number of people um and I happened to be friends with uh Adrian Bijanata and um uh, kind of touched base with him and said these guys really need to be a qualifier for the The very first obstacle course racing world championship so i kind of established a relationship with some of the leadership at the event site got them in contact with adrian Um, battle frog became a qualifier event for that and then um some of the people from the company started reaching out to me and said hey do you know how to be a race director do you know how to be a race director so i dropped a resume and and thought nothing more of it um and i had all four of my kids with me at the time and kind of was doing a a cross-country trip stopping in um, Texas Grand Canyon, uh, the Hoover Dam, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and back through the Rockies. And uh, about the time I hit Wyoming or Colorado, I get a call from one of the uh, team guys who worked for Battle Frog that I had met a couple of, at, a, at a couple of the events. And um, he's like, "Hey, guess whose resume I got on my desk?" And <laughs> so so I'm like, "Whose?" And I know exactly what he was talking about, but he's like, "Yours." <laughs> He's like, hey, can you be in Pennsylvania? I said, just so happens I probably can. Um, so in the middle of my trip back from California, I swung by the uh, where Battlefrog did their very first uh, Mines and Meadow trip. Um, they kind of interview per se. I strapped both my younger two kids in the, the front of a side-by-side RTV and uh, went with uh, Adam... and uh, another guy named Chris Call, and we kind of mapped out all the trails there and came up with a a course idea for the Pennsylvania race. Wow. Um, About a month later, they brought me on as a consultant um, for that race based on the recommendation of that interview, and um, Adam had gone out of town. He was the lead race director, and I kind of filled in the spots for that, and then uh, he came back, and he and I ran that race, and I think – if memory serves me correct Mudra and guy kind of voted that as one of the top three races of 2014 um right behind spartan world championships and ocr world championships well there you um, go and after that they brought me on full time and the rest is history wow
0: wow it's kismet right yes just kind of all worked out yes it did so now that you've been in it And I'm assuming, and again, I'm I'm a babe in the woods here. You've got to forgive me, Christopher. But uh, I'm assuming that all the events that go off around the country, your hands are on them.
1: My hands are on them in some way or another, yes.
0: Okay. So you're not physically conducting each of the events, but uh, course Uh, design, things like that, that's you?
1: um, Course design for some of the events. I'm I'm training a couple other guys, Ryan Atkins and uh, Marco Bedard, to uh, do course design as well um last year in 2014 i was at physically every single event and um had was involved in the design and physically conducting the event as a race director so as as a race director for battle frog you're controlling all aspects of the event itself right. um everything from when you come in the door to parking until you get on the bus and go back to parking and pull off the the property um through registration, through merchandise, through running the event, volunteering, um, handing out medals, all the logistics involved, uh, overseeing the build that all falls under my purview.
0: Well, I couldn't think of a better guy to have under your under your wing right now than Ryan Atkins for a course design because that's up to his wheelhouse anyway. I mean that's kind of what he does for a living
1: um yes and it's good because you and being a racer myself coming from the racer perspective you kind of get a different eyes on what you like to see and then being a race director you kind of come from the logistics and the functionality of it um so you have to balance those two you're you end up balancing um like what's physically achievable within um budget time and resources along with what would be pleasing to the customer which is our racers
0: of course yeah and I, uh, you know, it, it it came to mind just recently hearing about this 80 foot rig that you guys developed for the championships. Uh, was that your idea?
1: Um, yes, it was, it was my idea uh, sitting in the back of the, my head. Um, also, I it, it a lot of prompting came from the runners themselves. Um, they're like, hey, when are you going to put these things back to back? When can we have something that's truly epic? And the thing about obstacle course racing in particular a battle frog race is you're going to do something that's memorable that twenty, thirty, forty years from now you're gonna remember that moment. Mm-hmm. Like when was the first time an eighty foot rig was put together? Well Battlefrog did it. Who has the largest square footprint of a, a rig in the world? Um, Battle Frog. And these people are able to accomplish it and overcome it and defeat it and kind of build their own. And and what happens is it ends up being a life-changing moment, and they take that life-changing moment kind of as I did and turn it into positive energy to where they can reach out and affect other people and kind of motivate them to do the same thing.
0: All all that over some monkey bars.
1: Yes. (laughs) That's
0: great. So, uh, wow. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I have to share with you that I did a stint as a race director um, for a company that I used to own way back. I mean, I put on the first professional triathlon for CBS Sports in 1984
1: on the island of Kauai. Awesome.
0: Yeah, and you know, back then, triathlon was kind of virgin and there was no there was no events in the country that had money in them at the time. Right. And everybody at that point in time was an amateur athlete for the most part because they didn't earn any money. With exception of Mark Allen, who was traveling to Nice, France, and doing events there and making money there. But um, there was this big political fight going on to kind of create a union and uh, almost boycott events that didn't produce some fashion of prize money for the pros. And I got caught up right in the middle of all that. And by hook or crook, I ended up uh, the race director of this event (laughs) on Kauai. And, And it was Super Bowl Channel's. Super Bowl weekend, I think it was ABC Sports or CBS Sports, it was CBS Sports, that put the thing on, and I mean, I got this call out of nowhere, one day, the guy, uh, his name was Peter Tortorisi, he was in charge of acquisitions for CBS Sports at the time, and said, I'm sending one of my uh, one of my producers out to meet you, interview you, because we think we want you to put on an event for us. <laughs> <laughs> and I just... Choked I mean I sat there going I I I, I I I i had no i mean it was like from oh uh, it was just quite a feeling and um but the the pressure associated with putting on a multi stage event over territory dealing with the logistics of traffic and potentially dealing with uh the issues of put putting people in the ocean and and the whole thing, and as you suggested from parking in parking out dealing with all that stuff, it's quite a job. I mean, I know for fact what uh, work that is. That's no easy task by any stretch.
1: No, not at all.
0: Yeah. So, But it's cool because it gives you a chance to do some very creative stuff. And as you see it unfold before you, I- I'd imagine that's pretty rewarding.
1: It's um, the, the smiles on the athletes' faces um, and then all of them coming up after they run the race and say, I didn't really um, think that I could accomplish that. I can't wait to do more. Like The reward comes from the feedback that you get from the customers themselves.
0: Well, the thing that I quickly learned, and I was like in that business of putting on events for a bit, what I learned is that the more success you get, the more the competition among developers, event producers, comes to... I mean, everybody sharpens their teeth up because they want a little bit of what you're getting or being protective of what they have. Are you sensing that to some degree? I mean, I know there's been over the over the last year or so, there's been some fallout and there's been some people that are maybe on the edge. I'm not going to go into detail about all that, but just do you get any of that? Do you get some competitive stuff going on?
1: Um, you do see a lot of competitiveness, um, and a lot of it comes from um, the other companies kind of being around for a while and establishing a somewhat stagnant type of of feel to it, Um and, and so what you'll notice is people that are used to certain things or accustomed to certain things from one race company, when you change that, you end up with a little bit of opposition to change um, based on the well-established well, ex- well established things in the region. Um, and so the sport itself, in my eyes, is kind of set, I mean, it's grown and it's grown a good bit, but it's also set at a level to where, okay, what's it going to take to get to that upper echelon what's it going to take to to reach the next tier and kind of push that envelope a little bit higher and uh that's i'm glad to be associated and part of the battle frog team because i think we're really striving hard to overcome the perceived limit and that's what obstacle course racing is you have an obstacle you figure out how to come past it well to me the last two or three years an obstacle course racing has been, has been an obstacle um and and BattleFrog has the resources and the, the team together that can probably push past that obstacle and see what the next level is.
0: So what what seems to be the uh, the $50,000 question in obstacle racing, and that's coming from my perspective and where I sit and the people I speak with, is the comparative of being able, say, for example, in a Spartan event to burpee out and be competitive and earn money and or not be able to burpee out, as is the case with uh, Battle Uh I'm sure you get that thrown at you quite a lot. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, do you think that the sport eventually is going to evolve to a place where you're either going to have a way out or you're not going to have a way out, you're going to have to face the obstacles?
1: Well, I think it's going to evolve to where you have to face the obstacle because that's the nature of the sport itself. Like in a triathlon, if you don't complete the swim, um, are you a finisher um or if you you blow a tire and unless you carry your bike the length of the bike um race uh or the bike portion of a triathlon you're not an official finisher um i think obstacle course racing is the same thing you have to actually complete an obstacle the obstacles in order for the obstacle race to to be considered an obstacle course race if not you're just doing a crossfit exercise and um running. And if you're good at two things, which kind of takes away from the heart of the sport, um, you can essentially be successful.
0: Most of the pros that I speak with have told me that they prefer that it's mandatory that you finish the obstacles. Yes. And I I
1: think that's the direction the sport's going. If you look at Obstacle Course Racing World Championships, um, their events, uh, mandatory completion. And you'll see the other contestants. There was contestants there from 29 different countries. Um, The caliber of athletes from nations that kind of thrive on those outdoor sports is a whole lot different than the caliber of athletes that we have in the United States because we're primarily geared to Olympic-type sports, and that's what all of our our resources is going into and all the – the science and the knowledge and, and obstacle course racing is relatively new. Um, and other places, um, they have a, a entirely different focus. So their focus is um, how can I complete these obstacles and get through them faster and kind of save the time and, and be at mandatory completion. So I think the, the sport as a whole uh, on a worldwide level is going to gear towards that mandatory completion.
0: I came into the sport not that long ago, and I – really kind of fell in love with it, to be very honest with you. And and from a business perspective, I've spent the last 20 years dealing with all fashion of endurance and not just even endurance athletes, but athletes from all over. I mean, I worked with boxers, I've worked with hockey players. I've done pretty much all of it because I'm kind of the guy that looks at the guys and try to make decisions about what to do to get them better. But nowhere in my history have I run into a group of athletes that just caused me to want to let go of everything else and focus on a, a given sport. For all the reasons that you cited earlier on is that it, it's a community and the people tend to be very supportive of one another. I've never seen that before in any other type of sport. I mean, certainly, you know, you run across the finish line in a marathon and people clap for you, what have you, but it's just not the same thing. I mean, if if you fall down in a marathon, you may have, you know, given there's 50,000 people in the event, may have somebody stop to help get you up. But for the most part, their drive is to finish as quickly as possible and to hell with whatever happens beside them. And if someone doesn't have that attitude and hears me say that, uh, I hope I didn't offend them. But at the end of the day, I just, you know, I'm using it as an analogy. I just know that I have people that are trying to do their first event now that are older. Uh, I mean, Well, for example, I have a lady that's in her 70s right now that's talking to me about uh, doing an obstacle race event. And I've told her, I said, you know, if you can't get over the wall, somebody's going to push your butt over the wall. Don't worry about it.
1: Exactly. It's (laughs) going to happen.
0: Just keep moving. And so um, I couldn't have said that in anything else. I mean, uh, and I've done triathlon on my own, and and it just doesn't exist in those other sports. Right. So it did really want – it caused me to turn tail and – Focus almost wholeheartedly in this venture, and obviously I have my eye on other sports, and I I still have admiration for the athletes in other sports, and I like to track them, and I still work with them. But at the end of the day, I think this has been a cool, a cool, cool thing. So the question I have after all that rant is: a lot of people say to me from other sports, "Yeah, I don't know. You think it's going to last? Uh, you know, uh, you know, a couple years from now, it'll blow over and it won't be there." What's your thoughts when people say that?
1: Um. The same thing I kind of mentioned earlier, people are reluctant to change. Um, And I think once what I talked about as far as reaching that upper echelon and being more in the public eye, um, that the proven establishment of obstacle course racing in general um, will start drawing out more people. Because eventually those same people that are are naysayers now saying, oh, you think it's going to last or – Um, Is it going to continue to be around? Once all of their friends eventually get sucked into it, they'll be the only one left not trying it. And and almost through peer pressure, be forced to kind of see what it's all about. And I think once you make it out to a race or or go out and try one, you kind of realize what the whole sport is about. And then that kind of takes on its own growth per se.
0: Well, I'm talking primarily about uh, athletes that are earning a living as athletes. Yes. Where, for example, I have some friends that are, you know, elite professional athletes in <clears throat> other sports that I feel like if they were to give it a shot, they may find that their earning potential is greater in this sport. And well,
1: I I, I, I think so because that's how, like, Ryan Atkins comes from mountain biking sport. Right. Uh, uh, I think Rose Wetzel comes from the running world. Sure. Um, so you see people like that, and then uh, I think the Los Angeles race will have Mark uh, Lobinger, who comes from the bodybuilding world, um, all coming out to compete. And then there's talk of, of Lance Armstrong kind of crossing over um, into obstacle course and adventure racing. So the, the earning potential is there. Um, it just takes a few of those names to actually come out and try it and share their experience to kind of convince a few more people, and I think that'll snowball over time.
0: Well, I think a lot of it's got to do with the the logistics of it all comes down to spectator value. Mm -hmm. And opposed to a lot of other sports, you can't really watch a triathlon. There's no eyeball value behind a triathlon. Right. And even trying to watch it on television, like Ironman, for example, it's like, oh, my God. It's like, I'd rather watch golf, and I hate golf. You know, just the idea of, oh, god, you want to fall asleep because – Things take so long, and right. when CBS came to me and they said, we want to do this event, and they actually at that point in time wanted to cover the event that I had already produced, and which would have been awesome for me because I would have made a, a ton of money off of it. Yeah. But uh, they looked at me and they said, you know something, uh, this is all great, it's all safe, you did a great job, but nobody's going to die here today. Right. Which means that television aren- is not going to be excited about it. So the excitement that's associated with the obstacles and pretty much anything can happen at any given time, Right. there's definitely some eyeball value to that from a spectator perspective. And I think that that's what's going to win the day. And that's what's going to bring the money to the sport, and it, as is already bringing the money to the sport, and which is going to evolve eventually into very significant paydays for the athletes as the thing matures.
1: I agree with that.
0: Yeah. I actually had that conversation with Amelia Boone. And it was kind of funny. I was playing with her a little bit. But I said, so, Amelia, you know, you're at the top of your game right now. If you could focus 100% of your energies into this sport, quit your day job, would you quit your day job? She just kind of laughed. She said, well, I don't think that's going to happen. And Plus, I dedicated my entire life to my education, and, you know, I'm there with that now, so I don't ever see that happening. And I said, well, let's say that, for example, a year from now, somebody – Tells you that they're going to sign you for five million (laughs) bucks. I said, she started laughing, like you know that's never going to happen. And I said, well, well, how do you how do you know? I mean, really, you don't know. If you'd ask somebody that plays baseball ten years ago, or mentioned to someone ten years ago playing baseball that they could potentially earn three or four hundred million dollars in their career as a baseball player, they'd look at you like you're nuts. Exactly. So I, you know, having been around it for so long, I my personal view on it is I think that it is not only just here to stay, but we're just kind of scratching the surface of the potential of the sport.
1: Well, and I think it's an exciting time as well because you're determin- determining the direction of the sport and also helping shape, like, what the future is.
0: Well, as a clinician and the things that I do, what's really fun for me is that there's not really those that have gone before me, you know what I mean? It's right. like It's kind of an open book. It's it's just uncharted territory, and uh, we're all just kind of messing with it. You know, we're all trying to figure out what to do with it. So, yeah, from even this perspective, it's very, very exciting. I'm, I'm assuming the way your time is, you probably don't even get a chance to race anymore, do you?
1: Um, I like to do, and my personal thing is I like to do more of the endurance events. Um, I'm not quite as fast as the younger guys and um the majority of my athletic ability was poured into wrestling over the years up until about 2005 so um my prime and obstacle course racing is is kind of beyond that unless i dedicate uh an insane amount of hours into training um but when it comes to adventure uh racing um the longer 50 60 mile events or 24 hour plus events um you tend to reach a level to where you're more competitive. Hmm. Um, cause the, the younger people really haven't explored what it is to push past a lot of that pain and kind of go into, um, what it is. And, and there it's, it, those races are very cerebral as well. Oh yeah. Um, so you have to kind of think about how you're going to plan, um, attacking some of the, the challenges, um, and, and one of my favorites is probably the Fuego Yaga run down in Nicaragua. Sure. Um, that they do every year. And, um, Josue's a wonderful guy. Um, he puts on a top notch event and, uh, but I mean, when else do you get to climb up volcanoes in the middle of the night? Um, listening to howler monkeys <laughs> through, uh, uh, the fog layer and, and submerge yourself into a lagoon at the top of the volcano. Um, like you don't, um, so I, it's those kind of life experiences that i enjoy a lot and uh so when it comes to anything and and that's why i like um going out designing courses so much as well because it's you and nature and you can kind of you have a blank canvas and it, it's what would people love to see um and how do you be mindful of the the safety aspects um and at the same time i still get the the added thrill of kind of rummaging through the forest and, and everything else. Um, granted, part of the, the places I go will never be on a course, but at the same time, I still get to kind of live it and experience it as I'm doing it.
0: Right. How many events has Battle Frog added to the calendar for 2016?
1: Um, we will have roughly 44 events this year. So from 15 to 44, so we roughly um, triple our events.
0: Wow. Uh, you know, I had this conversation with Joe DeSena as he was talking about how they're they're branching out and developing their event calendar. He told me, it might have been internationally speaking, but he told me that for every location that they opened up, it ran about 400000 bucks to do it. And, I mean, I don't know if you have privy to those kind of thoughts or, or, or dollars, but I would have thought that just moving into another location – can be a very very expensive proposition
1: it can be um however that's the beauty of battle frog we're the most efficient uh obstacle course racing in, in in the industry or uh obstacle course race in the industry um so we've kind of over this last year we've honed what we do and we've got some very intelligent people from all walks of life that have come in they've designed ways to um Build things faster smarter quicker and more efficient and still maintain the the a high level of safety there um So some of the overhead costs that you see in other races because they've been doing it that way forever um, We've kind of reinvented the wheel. That's why why I'm excited to kind of push to that next level because um, We do have smart people that have come from um, other places in the industry, but we have a lot of people that think outside the box. And and one thing that our backer always says is where there's a will, there's a way. Um, So whether that requires inventing um, new ways to build obstacles or a new way to stack obstacles or or pack obstacles or new obstacles in general, um, we end up finding a way to do it.
0: And you're coming to, uh, well obviously right now as we speak, you're in Sonoma, there's an event going off up there. And then I understand that there's also an event going on down here in Lake Castaic or Casitas, I guess.
1: Um I'm not completely sure. Um honestly, the uh I try to go in sequential order throughout the uh, throughout the year. I know our first five races are at uh, San Diego area out near uh 212 land, which is the Indian reservation, and then second race is uh Fort McDowell on a part of the property that that none of the uh other companies have touched yet. Um, third race is Los Angeles area, um, near Prado park. And then fourth is the San Francisco race up here at Lake Sonoma. And then I think our fifth one is, uh, uh, Craig ranch park in uh, Las Vegas. And then, uh, we venture back to Miami on some of the, the races that we've done before, but throughout the year, we'll visit some of these cities two or three times, um, and about, Three to four months before the event is when I actually get the location memorized and get out there and start meeting the the individuals who are uh, in charge of the contracts.
0: Now, of all the distances that you guys put on, what do you find to be a the most popular? And at what distance do you feel like it's the most favorable from a business perspective?
1: Um, it varies because um, people like uh, they don't like cookie cutter. Um, but at the same time, they like that element of a surprise. So what I've noticed is, um, from a business standpoint, between six and eight kilometers, um, is a good distance because you're not alienating the people that like to run short distances and who are very good at the obstacles. And, um, but you also have the ability to run the two lap format for, um, which something is exclusive to Battlefrog, um where the um, some of the elites during those races will complete um, 50 to 60 obstacles. Um, and in some cases up to 90, 96, 98, um, depending on what location we're at, um, mm-hmm. over two laps. Um, and, and it makes them better athletes and they'll go out and run other events and, and do very well at it because they've got very efficient and they're training to uh complete some of the obstacles and then at the same time other um high name athletes will come over from from those other events and come run a battle frog and, and get absolutely decimated so they end up with the bragging rights because they're evolving um and, and and some of the others are not so i think the the happy medium is to run either a single lap or double lap um 6 to 8k um, depending on the venue and there'll be some that are longer because the, what you do in a race design, you'll actually go out to a location and you'll look at all the things that they have to offer and you want to incorporate all the natural beauty of the place and, uh, all the highlights into a course. And you try to do that, um, in a, a good logistical flow manner, um, to where you can actually build it and tear it down rather quickly, but at the same time, get people to experience those as they're at a site. And I think that's why people show up.
0: Yeah. I, I read in, uh, I guess it was Mud Run Guide, they, they were talking about, you know, uh, it was an op-ed for what's going down in 2016. And they they said, and I didn't know this, but apparently Battlefrog sponsored the 2016 Fiesta Bowl?
1: Exactly. The uh, Ohio State played Notre Dame. Ohio State ended up winning, but um, it ended up being televised and had a record viewing of viewers for the Fiesta Bowl. And the number number of Google searches for Battle Frog that day um eclipsed so we and and one day we had enough searches um then the entire history of o c r um combined
0: wow, wow, well, you pay for it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It gets expensive to to do something like that, but I guess that's why, right? I've yes. always told people it's it's the business like this is relative, you know. I said, "We'll dig up Michael Jackson and have him sing a song for us if we get paid enough money to do it."
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the other question I have is we, you know, there's all this scuttlebutt about the event eventually making its way to the Olympics. Do you think that there's a particular distance that they're going to hover towards for an event? if they were to have a kind of walk on test, the water type of thing in the Olympics. And do you think they're going to have to standardize the courses for this to happen?
1: Um, look at it from a skiing perspective, I guess. Um, you have downhill slalom, you have the aerial jumps, you have the, um, um, I mean, there's so many different distances and so many different types of events. Um, I think if you're going to end up in the route of the Olympics, which I, me personally, there's a, a, another route there, um, that I'm not going to talk about on the podcast, but, um, I, I think you have the ability to run several different events, um, and several different distances in that type of format, because you don't want to have a one and done, um, day in the Olympics. Um, so if you look at any of the other sports like wrestling, for instance, um, when we wrestled and we were trying to qualify for the 2004 Olympics, you'd go to an Olympic trial qualifier, and then you'd end up going to the Olympic trials, or you could go to the Olympic trials via the nationals. Um, and based on whether you're the winner of the Olympic trials or not, you could go to the Olympics. Well, that was if and only if the world team member had qualified that in the sport. Um, but wrestling, you end up in a tournament format. So you'll wrestle one match. and then So you've got your quarterfinals, your semifinals, in your finals. Uh, I think the same thing is going to be in optical course racing, but it'll be over, um, uh, it'll either be over a several day event or it will be several different events where you have the winner of the short course, the winner of the, the medium course, the winner of the long course. And the, and the, you, you run into it with, uh, uh, the equestrian stuff that they do, the, the skiing things that they do, the, the, Running events, you have hundred meter dash, two hundred high hurdles, and four hundred and mile, and ten thousand or yeah ten thousand meter, and so I think obstacle course racing, if it's going to be included in that forum, will also have those different types of aspects to it.
0: Well, it becomes a function of time too, and I think yes. that because the uh, you know track and field has been in the Olympics since the very beginning, and so changing the format, then uh, they probably weren't thinking in terms of the type of audiences that are looking at the sport today. Right. And when triathlon came in, they, you know, they standardized the event to essentially an Olympic distance they refer to it as, which is a 10K run. Yep. And they, uh, I, it's a matter of time. You know, they've got to get all this thing going on, and there's so many people that want to have a spot. Yeah. So I just, in my mind, I thought that they would probably, from a, from a beginning perspective, give it a chance by saying, okay, we're going to do, like for example, a six k event. Who knows? But so l- let me give you a better question. We've just fired everybody involved with developing sport in OCR and put you in charge globally of the sport. What would you do with the sport if you had your way?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Um, if everybody in the world is cut out of the sport and I'm the one in charge. Um, first thing i'm going to do is put together a bunch of focus groups um kind of get what and you need to pull in some pretty high-powered people um that are interested in the, the development of the sport um what do viewers want what do spectators want what do the racers want and and um from that kind of put together a business plan um from that business plan um kind of determine what resources and and everything is needed to execute that business plan. And then, um, target strategic areas with that business plan where it's going to have the most bang for its buck. Um, and whether that involves, it depends on my resources as well, whether that involves, uh, reaching a global market with sponsoring a festival, so be it. Um, whether that involves word of mouth through social media outlets, so be it, whether that involves uh, creating short course college championships um, and getting airtime on ESPN1. I think all those things kind of play into, okay, how do we reach the everyday person sitting on their couch across the planet? And um, So a, a lot of the things that I'm thinking of are, are tied to um, – current things what battle is doing because i believe in the roadmap to success that they have um and and the vision and kind of the dreams to uh be become something greater than the sport itself um and um there's a reason why the guy that backs us um has the resources that he does because he's a very sharp individual so i think those decisions kind of go hand in hand
0: yeah, but the, you know, I got to I got to qualify this a little bit because yeah. you just did that as a as a businessman. And yep. and so you were thinking, okay, for for the health of the sport, how best can we do this? I just you're like Gaddafi now, okay?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you're
0: not looking at budget. You got all the money in the world. You're just doing what you want to do. What would that look like?
1: Um pretty much the same. Really? Yeah, I'm going to create events that people love. Um take their feedback. Um, and strive for to apply any lessons learned. Um, there's the thing I love about obstacle course racing is it always it, right now it has the potential to evolve, and those ways to evolve you always want to see. That's the beauty of the spectator portion of it as well. You can show up at uh, an event that's not going to have the same feel to it because there's different terrain there's different that and when you're talking from an Olympic perspective or a a, a worldwide global market um, there's so much beauty around the planet that no matter where you go whether it's South America or Europe or something like that you're going to run into places that have the ability to host an obstacle course race that will be different every time that you go there mm-hmm. Um, so you you incorporate the the different skylines and and marshes and bogs and deserts and jungles. And um, so I think obstacle course racing as a sport has the right, I guess, idea as far as where it's going. Hmm.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. I never thought of it that that way, but it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, if you were invited to host the Olympics in, for example, who knows? I mean, Brazil, for example. Yeah. The 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 climate and the terrain and circumstance environment is going to be far, far different than it would be in other parts of the world. So, yeah, it would have to kind of mirror the the environment. Right. But, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. It's just uh, very, very cool to be able to speculate and look into the future as opposed to making decisions based on what occurred in the past. Right. Uh, I have another question just off the hook. Do you know how many athletes are sponsored by Battle Um,
1: currently we have, um, let's see that Marco Bedard and Ryan Atkins are the pro athletes that we have on the team. Um, for the males, Um uh, for females, we have Corinna Coffin, uh, Claude Gubo, And I think I said that right. And, um, lindsey webster as our pro athletes and then we have uh sarah watson who is our um she's like a a sponsored athlete um who also goes out and runs our races so um that's all that's included on our our as far as our pro and sponsored athletes right now um but i do think that they are planning on on planning on reaching out to more individuals
0: okay uh, that was going to be my next question. Is is it like outside their business model to develop a uh, a quiver of athletes to carry their branding into other events?
1: Um, a lot of our athletes now um, carry our branding into other events because you'll see Ryan r- run World's Toughest Mutter and the, the the Spartan World Championships and OCR World Championships as well as Marco and Claude and Corinna and. Sarah um, and Lindsay, um, and they do rather well at it. Um, I, I think Lindsay ended up winning um, both the Battle Frog Championships and the Obstacle Course Racing World Championships, and I think she did fairly well at the, the Spartan one as well. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our customer base actually comes from people who run our races. And then take that branding into other races. So I think eventually that business model will include that, um, and they'll be required to run not only a certain number of Battle Frog races, but uh, a certain number of outside competitor races as well. Um, hmm. But again, that's the from the marketing and sales aspect of it, and I tend to lean more towards the operations.
0: No, I, I get it. I get it. I just I just figured you're close enough to it that you could give me an answer for that. Obviously enough uh, the reason I asked the question was because we saw that there were some issues with uh, Atlas Race, you know, there were some athletes got on board and boom the thing fell apart. And then Spartan obviously has a pretty pretty large group of athletes that they are caring for and uh I don't know. I didn't know whether it was something that you felt was a necessary component of the development of the the brand.
1: I think it is a necessary component, but at the same time, I also think that you want to avoid watering it down. Um, you don't want to ha- what I've seen in the past is, is you go out to a race, um, you have all your pro athletes there. Somebody, um, we call them like dark horses comes out, wins a race and you're like, Oh crap, I got to have them on my protein. Um, that's not always the case because everything goes into racing, whether it's hydration um, the temperature conditions, the elevation, the um, the number of events they did before any injury. So, um, you you can't just scoop up everybody that you think is going to be good at the sport. But at the same time, you have to have a, a good enough, I guess, character and and moral value to each of the individuals that you use to represent you, to have a healthy return on investment for what you're paying them to do and what they bring as far as the um, following.
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and what was my other question? I had a question that just kind of fell right off my... You Don't ever want to get old, dude. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I know what it was. And it's been on my head since we started talking, and you mentioned that you came from wrestling. Uh, it may interest you to know that when... I had this conversation with Joe DeSena back uh, a year ago. He we're talking about where we felt the athletes that are going to dominate the sport would come from. And Joe told me he thought it would be a wrestler.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for whatever it's worth, you know, maybe you I a, you're not even aware of it yet.
1: I can actually see that, but I've never seen a sport that more physically demanding um, from both an endurance and a physical training aspect than wrestling.
0: No. Well, I, I, uh, I couldn't disagree. I, I think that there's absolutely potential for it, and I really don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, actually, it's interesting because it's such a hybrid sport where there's so much demand for upper body strength and uh, the, the ability to have great endurance as well. Yes. I brought a, a friend of mine who was three times on the U.S. team as a decathlete on the uh, Bahama cruise uh we invited him to come and, and i really thought this guy's like tarzan i mean as a decathlete he uh i mean he's fast as a runner he's got good upper body strength he's you know but he he got humbled he was surprised at how how much more capable some of these guys were that didn't have the the pedigree that he had going into the sport
1: um yes and that's definitely uh, an eye opener for a lot of individuals um I've seen also guys that run 208, uh, not 208, 218 marathons, um, get completely hum- humbled by the obstacles. Um, but you also see, um, athletes that, um, come from the Olympic, uh, background being, uh, like Marco and, and Claude. Um, and they were they're athletes, um, for Canada. Um, do rather well. So it's all about the training mentality and, and the ability to adapt. You can't be a pure runner, um, and never uh, have dedicated any part of your life to doing any outside labor or, or anything like that to develop some sort of strength to where you can, um, have the grip strength and have the upper body ability to get some of the, through some of these obstacles. But at the same time, it, I don't know. I relate it to nuclear power. I've seen, uh, when I was in the nuclear power field, I see nuclear physicists struggle um, with their exams and, and people with anthropology degrees zip right through it. So huh. it, it just all depends on the individual themselves and, and what they want and their ability to learn. And I think intellect um, goes a long way.
0: What element of training or abilities do you think is most critical for the sport?
1: <sighs> From a training aspect, um you need to be a well-rounded individual. Um, you can't just focus primarily on running and you can't just focus primarily on upper body and strength exercises. Um, so kind of in life, how you train yourself to be a well-rounded person, um, whether it's being a a good father, a, a, a good worker at work or, uh, just an overall role model or a good coach. When you're a coach of a baseball team, you want to take different aspects from different toolboxes and kind of apply all those as your um, in your core as an athlete.
0: No, hmm. yeah. well, I got to tell you that what drew me to the sport from a business model is that I've seen just a, a, a overwhelming amount of people that tell me that they felt that learning to contend with obstacles was not nearly as complex or difficult to master as becoming a better runner in the sport.
1: Yes, and that's very true because, I mean, everybody that grew up kind of in the era that we're at now um, has been out to a playground. They've been out to parks, and and the overall shift in the country in general has been more health-conscious and health-minded. So... the those people have an advantage on the obstacles because if you've ever played outside at any recess growing up in school or, or attend a gym class, then you've, you've got a, a leg up on the obstacles themselves. So it's just teaching yourselves the proper form and function for the running between the obstacles yeah. um, and getting more efficient at the obstacles themselves. Right. And I, I think the longer people are in the sport, the more um, the more the science will come into a factor because you'll, you'll get a lot of people with a lot of natural talent but the people that have actually strategically come up with training plans um in order to excel i think those people will kind of crop up over the development of the sport and you'll see them um kind of do what they do
0: yeah well
1: so if you've never run a battle frog um and kind of go back to the aspect I did. I ran my first battle frog, their very first race, not ever hearing about it, but having good expectations um If you've never run one, come out and run one. You'll be pleasantly surprised um and I get that from everybody that's ever ran their first race. um They're surprised on the difference, and they can't believe how much fun they had of what they expected. Form your own opinion by actually showing up and going out and and competing and conquering the obstacles. Um, My last statement is uh, bands over burpees.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, that seems to be the trend. I'm hearing more and more from people that they feel like you don't finish the course, you shouldn't get a chance to go and spend the money,
1: right? Exactly.
0: Well, that's putting me on the road. I'm going to be in Baton Rouge. Uh, And maybe, I mean, if everything shakes out, we're going to be in Sarasota, Florida, doing running clinics, uh, especially for obstacle racing athletes. And that's been fun. We were in Texas with Yancey recently and did some stuff with some of his people. And that's been a lot of fun. So it's taken me around the country, and I want to thank you for that.
1: Uh, thank you for what you do for uh, the sport and helping uh, train people and push them to be better athletes as well. And I, I really appreciated uh, having the time to talk to you today.
0: All right, but uh, don't you work too hard. And get uh, to the wineries, man. <laughs> get to uh, the
1: wineries. Definitely. I'll make that a priority. All right.
0: Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.